0: Nate is so much more cool than me. He's got a flat table. I've got a old-school pulpit, so trendy. Thank you so much for having me. It's so good to be here. Um, I've known Nate forever. We were in Centerpoint together, and we both planted churches out of the same movement. Uh, Nate was my 2IC, my second in charge when I was a youth pastor, but then he got promoted above me, and so uh, he became a campus pastor, and I was stuck with the youth No, I love doing youth. I had to be moved out involuntarily um, and just uh still loving all the youth now. finally, I have youth in our church took some time um just want to encourage you all that that was such a sweet set of worship just then it, it was the holy Spirit was here, and it was like sweet incense going up to him that's that's just how I felt and um i've never been here before just. Uh, just in case you don't realize, I very rarely trek out. Nate's asked me so many times and um, my wife finally was like, you actually have to go. And I've learned a long time ago to listen to my wife when she does dare to interject because of his, of his, often it is from God. I'm going to jump into the word right now. Nate did something very dangerous. He, um, You all call him Nate, right? Yeah, just so you know, I gave him that name. He used to be Nat, and I was like, "You can't have the name Nat; it's Nate." And people adopted it from then on. So I changed the trajectory of his life, if you if you ask me. But Nate did something very dangerous. He didn't give me a time, so so buckle in. Um, why don't we pray? And if I don't remember to do it because I don't have it at the end of my notes, I just want to pray together at the end for this new building that Nate's been telling about because. I think it will truly be a game changer for Lift Church. So if I don't remember to do it, someone please remind me and we'll pray together at the end. But Let's just pray for the word right now. Holy Spirit, would you just arrest our hearts right now? Would you just open us up to receive, to hear what you would want to speak to every single one of us this morning? You are alive. You are alive in our hearts. You long to speak. You long to guide. You long to direct And so we open ourselves up to that directional shift this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. When I preach, I'm not very Pentecostal. I use a lot of Scripture. So um, that's a bit of a joke in case you missed it. But I do. I use a lot of Scripture. And um, if you don't like Scripture, just... uh, No, you'll like it. But um, I'm starting off with quite a long passage of Scripture. And I just want... to follow along and then we'll use a lot of shorter scriptures i will read it here and i'm assuming it's i didn't bring a powerpoint you got it you got it done yeah i think i got given that instruction and i didn't listen but we're going to start with genesis 18. it's abraham and um the angel of the lord has visited him and this has nothing to do with the message but if you ask me it's jesus jesus has visited him we never talk about these things. It seems to be a bit of a touchy subject, but in the Old Testament, whenever the angel of the Lord comes and in various places people bow down to that angel of the Lord and regard the regard it as God. I believe that's Jesus. I believe that's Jesus coming and visiting people. But that doesn't matter. In it but what we are meant to view it as as God is present, whether it is through an entity called the angel of the Lord or, or his presence being there with the angel or whether it is Jesus the angel of the Lord has come to Abraham Abraham has served him he's prepared him a meal he's shown proper hospitality and entertained the presence of God and it says when the men got up to leave they looked down towards Sodom and Abraham walked along with them to see them on their way then the Lord said shall i hide from abraham what i'm about to do abraham will surely become a great and powerful nation and all nations on earth will be blessed through him for i have chosen him so that he will direct his children and his household after him to keep the way of the lord by doing what is right and just so the lord will bring about for abraham what he has promised him now not so obvious but in the language it is using here what, is, what the Lord is basically saying is I'm going to reveal something to Abraham and I'm going to test him. This is a test whether we realize it or not. And the key of what he is looking for is this, that Abraham is one that keeps the way of the Lord and does what is right and just. And we're meant to hold on to that truth as we go into what then transpires. So the Lord turns to Abraham and he says the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah. Is so great and their sin so grievous and we see that when the angels went down there by the way the angel of the Lord didn't actually go with them down there but he sent his angels down there and we know from the account that um, when they went down there the inhabitants of the town upon seeing strangers immediately wanted to sexually assault and attack these men when he talks about the sin of this nation it is great Uh, whenever we go through other parts of scripture it also lists in fact in more numerous occurrence than the sexual immorality of the town is that they had no regard for the poor and no regard for justice this is what the sins of sodom and gomorrah were and we are meant to see it as to an extreme level not to a minor level he says i'll go down and i'll see if what they have done is as bad as the outcry that has reached me. If not, I will know. So the men turned away and went towards Sodom. So the Lord sends away the other angels that he's with. But Abraham remained standing before the Lord. The Lord stays there with Abraham. Then Abraham approached him and said, Will you sweep away the righteous with the wicked? What if there are 50 righteous people in the city? Will you really sweep it away and not spare the place for the sake of the 50 righteous people in it? Far be it from you to do such a thing, to kill the righteous with the wicked, treating the righteous and the wicked alike. Far be it from you will not the judge of all the earth do right. It's kind of gutsy. It's kind of a gutsy thing for Abraham to say in this moment. The Lord said, If I find 50 righteous people in the city of Sodom, I will spare the whole place for their sake. Then Abraham spoke up again. Now that I have been so bold as to speak to the Lord, though I am nothing but dust and ashes, he's he's hedging his bets here, please don't crush me, please don't kill me. What if the number of the righteous is five less than 50? Will you destroy the whole city for a lack of five people? If I find 45 people there, I will not destroy it. Once again, he spoke to him. What if only 40 are found there? He said, for the sake of the 40, I will not do it. Then he said, May not the Lord be angry, but let me speak. What if only 30 can be found there? The Lord answers, I will not do it. If I find 30 there. Abraham said, Now that I have been so bold as to speak to the Lord, what if only 20 can be found there? He said, For the sake of 20, I will not destroy. Then he said, May not the Lord be angry, but let me speak just once more. Just once more. What if only 10 can be found there the lord answered for the sake of 10 i will not destroy it when the lord had finished speaking with abraham he left and abraham returned home now the lord has tested abraham and we are meant to view what abraham did as just as good and right but it's kind of crazy because if you know scripture, who knows what happens? Just in case you don't know, they destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. So, why even include this account in scripture? Isn't this just a man dealing with something above his payground? I'm going to destroy a city. Surely not, God. Surely you're not going to destroy an entire city of people. And God's like, listen, listen, Abraham. This is stuff that's way above your pay grade. Stay out of this. This is God business. You you actually don't know what's going on down there. It's heinous. It's it's horrible. You don't know. Just No, no. This is actually included in Scripture as a major interaction between the Lord and Abraham. And his plea failed. So why even include it in Scripture? Also, do we not think that although God went through the process of sending the investigative angels down there that the Lord didn't know that the crime down there was really as bad that he didn't know at this moment that he was going to destroy the city but yet he still desired for Abraham to intercede over and over and over again in boldness To the Lord to not destroy the city to plead against its destruction and it's very interesting because Abraham is the father of faith through which the redemptive plan was to come through through which all the nations of the world would be blessed so we have Abraham interceding for the city but it was not to be it was destroyed and and I contrast this with the heart of Jonah Jonah is sent to a city, gives the worst, gives the worst gospel message you have ever heard in your life. If you ever read Jonah, by the way, Jonah, if you didn't realize, is actually meant to be satire. I'm not sure of another book of the Bible that is meant to be satire. Jonah's meant to be satire, and it's quite comedic when you read it, understanding the aspect of it. Jonah takes six foot six feet, six steps or something into a city. You've got to remember, the king, the palaces, everything's in the middle of the city for protection. He takes a few steps in, spots some guy just sitting on the side and is like, God's going to destroy the city and walks out. He's like, there, I delivered the message. Okay, I, I did it. Now Jonah goes, sets up shop to await for the destruction. So Jonah 4 verse 5 says, Jonah went out of the city, sat to the east of the city and made a booth for himself there. He sat under it in the shade till he should see what would become the city. And God comes later and pleads with Jonah because Jonah's mad that God didn't destroy the city. Should not I pity Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left? Jonah's grabbing a high position, a viewing platform grabbing some popcorn, sitting down, making himself comfortable and longing to see a city destroyed. But in this case, God doesn't destroy the city. God rebukes him. And this this is actually a mindset that Christians can incorrectly walk in in our generation, where we're awaiting the destruction of the city, where we're incensed and affronted on God's behalf for all that we see that is against him. And we say holy things like oh come lord jesus translation i can't wait till you flame all these people they are going to see who is really right you're going to teach all those people i was arguing with on facebook in that chat because i'm really fuming now oh come lord jesus we make it sound so holy you know what i'm talking about translation i can't wait till you stomp this place i've got my platform set up that viewing platform at Kings Park. I've set up a tent. I've got the popcorn. I've got the shade. I'm on my battery. I'm on full battery on my phone. I'm just waiting to see the fire fall down on this place. God, I can't wait till you crush my enemies. I mean, your enemies. Come on, you know the mindset. Sometimes the Lord is coming. The Lord is coming soon. Oh, we're in the end days. Now, look, I'm a very rare pastor who i 'm um, not going to say i don 't think we 're in the end days but i 've never i don 't accept it as just a fundamental truth because I realize that every generation throughout history has thought that they 're in the end days and if you know anything about history I, I actually don 't think there 's anything that particularly evil about our generation compared to plenty of av- it, plenty of other generations that have come before them. this message isn 't on end times i 'm just saying that i 'm not so sure he 's coming back like tomorrow like a lot of my fellow pastors are but often in this talk about end days often in all this talk about please come Lord Jesus we're in the end days he's coming soon there's this undertone of wanting to see destruction come upon this world wanting to see those that are against God there's an inflamed spirit going on within that those that are against God against his ways holding up counter positions to who God is, how, who he's called us to be, how he's called us to live, what his truth is. and There's this undertow. I've seen it. I feel it. I'm sure you have too. Where people are longing for the destruction of those viewed as God's enemies. You know, I'm reminded of Luke 9, verse 54. And it says this, when the disciples James and John saw this, this is a Samaritan town rejecting Jesus and sending him on his way. They said, Lord, do you want us to command fire to come down from heaven and consume them? But he turned and rebuked them and said, you do not know what manner of spirit you are of. The Son of Man did not come to destroy men's lives. He came to save men's lives. Those with the wrong heart can't wait to see God suppose enemies crushed, proven wrong, getting it. But we need to understand that while we were still his enemies he died for us while we were still his enemies his kindness led us to repentance and our role is not to decide who is due destruction who God should crush who God should destroy that's his business because he is God ours is to take Abraham's role see god was intending destruction on sodom gomorrah in this case he was but yet the heart he still wanted to see in his man was plead for the people plead against the destruction and he viewed that as just and right our goal is to plead for the people our god is to be intercessors for this world in romans 8 it says this verse 34 who is to condemn Christ Jesus is the one who died, more than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. It gives us a picture of a Savior who died for us and is now interceding for us. He's pleading for us as those who are already saved. So if God who is perfect is sitting at the right hand of the Father pleading our case, pleading that nothing would come against us nothing would strike us that we would be forgiven that our sins when we sin daily would be forgiven how can we take on a mindset or a heart that is awaiting destruction of anyone no we are to carry the same intercessory heart and be pleading for the city pleading for the people in luke 23 jesus says this on the cross for those who are personally attacking him father forgive them for they know not what they do Wasn't that what God said to Jonah when Jonah was awaiting destruction? These people don't know their left hand from their right. They don't know what they're doing. In Jeremiah 29, while in exile, it says this, Build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Also seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you t- too will prosper. You know, if we really do believe that, well, I'm not of this world, I'm just a stranger passing through, I'm an alien toward this, my home is heaven or, or a recreated earth, depending on what you believe. Um, you know, this, this is, and I saw an article recently, it was actually an American article about Australian Christianity, which I found very interesting. And in their assessment, they said that Australian Christians need to realize they're playing an away game. Like an ink to sport, not a home game, which is the case, say, in the place where the author lived in the United States. That for the battle that is Christianity, in the battle for hearts and minds, perhaps we need to realize here that yeah, it is an away game. When in a society that is post-Christian and is increasingly un-Christian and increasingly lives in a way and in a culture that is counter-Christian, but here we're told that when we are living in exile in a foreign city, if we, eat, if we are just strangers passing through but wherever we live, if we're in exile, however you want to look at it, build houses, settle down, plant gardens, eat what they produce, seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which we are in exile. Pray to the Lord for it, that intercessory heart, once again, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. Those are powerful words. And if we're searching for it, we will see the intercessory heart of God all throughout the word. You know, the book of Job says this, Job 1 verse 2, Job had seven sons and three daughters. And verse 4, his sons used to hold feasts in their homes on their birthdays, and they would invite their three sisters to eat and drink with them. When a period of feasting had run its course, Job would make arrangements for them to be purified early in the morning he would sacrifice a burnt offering for each of them thinking perhaps my children have sinned and cursed god cursed god in their hearts this was job's regular custom now job is actually believed to be the oldest book in the bible it is not even set in a jewish context and it's meant to be a time before even the old covenant before the levitical law but this term burnt offering is still meant to be understood By the reader or listener in the Old Covenant you have five different times types of offering two are mandatory and are carried out by the priesthood on our behalf the people's behalf and that's a picture of Christ right there that that we can't offer this offering up for the atonement it's the priesthood and our great high priest that does it on our behalf but the other three are completely voluntary they're heart offerings that are meant to be given over with free free will, and they're not legal requirements. One of them is an offering of prosperity and blessing. And by the way, these offerings are considered separate from the tithe, which is also addressed in the same part of the Old Covenant. But one is, if you feel especially blessed and prosperous, you give an offering. The second one is the fellowship and peace offering. And I've always found that one interesting because... There's three different ways that we can be given, but one of them is really crazy in that if you've given a really big offering to God, say you've dedicated your child to God and given them over to the temple, say you've done something and you made a massive vow to God and now you've fulfilled it, you'd think that offering would be big enough, but he asked for a peace offering so that you can prove that your heart is okay with it. I think that's crazy. So it's like you've given a massive offering, now God, I'm giving you a peace offering just to show you my heart is good, my heart is sweet. You are still worth this. I'm not giving it begrudgingly. And the last one is the burnt offering for personal sin and guilt. At nowhere within the law does it say that you can offer these on behalf of other people. Now, straight away we see here in the book of Job, he's held up in his generation as being a man that is upright and blameless. And no detail is given except for this one thing about him. That he gives voluntary burnt offerings, not for himself, but as an intercessory measure for his children. And I found that a powerful truth when studying it. And I I have three kids and I have even on top of my kids a whole bunch of spiritual kids and people that I love. And what I found interesting is it didn't write this and say, he had a good heart, but he really didn't understand how these burnt offerings were meant to work. You can't give them for other people. That The word doesn't, no, the word talks about it in a positive light and also as a sign that made him stand up above his contemporaries, that he was a man of integrity, blameless, upright, just in his generation. And this is the only detail it gives, that he looked at his children and he would give voluntary burnt offerings on their behalf, saying, maybe they sinned. In their hearts and didn't even realize it I won't take the chance I'm gonna give I'm gonna generously give I'm gonna give these burnt offerings so that they would be covered and it talks about that in a positive light the thing I love about that is personally I believe it means they worked I believe that means they were accepted I believe that means God saw them and that he was able to intercede on his children's behalf And so Job is using this voluntary offering, a voluntary pouring out of his own resource, his own self, as an intercessory measure for his children. Again, we are seeing the intercessory heart of God in Job. God accepts our sacrifice and our worship as intercessory for others. Now, before you tar and feather me and say, that sounds like blasphemy that sounds heretical I'll explain it a bit better later but the truth of the matter is that that's what you guys are doing this morning when we die to ourselves and live for God when we present ourselves as a living sacrifice there is blessing for our households it's blessing for our kids and our children our loved ones but you are creating an intercessory environment that is pleading for other people. that That's what a church is. It's a bunch of people coming in and, and pouring out of their resource, pouring out of their talent, their ability, their time of themselves. Why? So that other people can come in and know God. So that a place of peace, love and joy, the fruitless spirit can be so prevalent that God is seen. It was important what I said at the beginning and noteworthy when I said that during worship, I just felt like There was sweet incense in the air because you need that sort of environment. We live in a broken world and churches should be full of broken people. But in the process of healing, what happens is our heart becomes sweet and we walk in the fruit of the Spirit instead of the fruit of this world. And when we walk in the fruit of the Spirit, it's the fruit that people eat of that nourishes them, that points them towards God. When a tree has fruit, it doesn't consume its own fruit. Other people eat the fruit off the tree, and it makes them realize it's a good tree. That's what we're doing here. That's what the Church of Jesus Christ is meant to be. We say, God, I lay my life down. God, in view of your mercy, in view of the cross, in view of what you've done for me, I present myself as a living sacrifice. You are worth the best, the fattest portions, the first fruits, the best of myself, my talent, my ability, my time. You are worth all of that. And I give myself over to the heart that you hold for this world. See, many of you are walking in an intercessory heart without realizing it. But I want you to put a name to what you're doing. You are carrying an intercessory heart for this world. You know, Deuteronomy 30 promises this. Choose life. Choose blessings so that you and your children may live. Live in such a way that is difficult, but the benefit flows down not just to you, but to your children, to your household. Again, parents being told to live in an intercessory way of sacrifice for their children. It's a beautiful picture. And isn't that what our Heavenly Father did for us? Our Father loved us so much that he gave his Son. He was our intercessor. He gave of himself. He gave the best. He gave himself willingly for us. His children. So is it any wonder that if He acted that way towards us, rather than awaiting destruction of those that we view as His enemies, He wants us to walk in an intercessory heart for our world. 2 Corinthians 5 says this, If you had any doubt, All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to Himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting, everyone say entrusting, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us, we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. He's given us a ministry of reconciliation, not counting their well, who's there? All of them, any of them, whoever. Not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us. See, if we just say the gospel message, it's it's kind of open to interpretation. I don't think it should be, but you know what I'm saying? The the message of what God wants us to bring can be open to interpretation. But here he's saying quite clearly what the good news is it's a message of reconciliation and so we can't get the message twisted we can't get the message twisted with what's in our own hearts if you want any reason to allow the fruit of the Spirit standing upon of course that foundation already of salvation and identity and redemption and all we have through the free free gift of Christ on the cross something we can't earn. But standing on that foundation, if you want a good enough reason to grow, to forgive, to move on, to let things drop and to step into more and more the picture of Christ, it's so that we as ambassadors of Christ can truly carry with us a message of reconciliation. That when people are around us and they, they smell us they're smelling sweet incense you know the burnt offering couldn't be given without sweet incense see I, what i love about that is he's not saying this shouldn't hurt this shouldn't be a sacrifice this should cost you nothing i had to tell my um hosts off at church my mcs because i largely leave people to their own devices but i was like can we stop with this whole you know even if you've got five dollars in your wallet or but you know god i was like can we not say that they don't have to give no one here has to give everyone's welcome but god is not a busker he doesn't want their loose change in their wallet as some sort of empty ritual he wants hearts he wants the best of them so they don't have to give anything but never give an encouragement that isn't give god your best because that's the intercessory heart. God, I give this over to you, because I believe in your plans for this world. I believe in the mission of the church of Jesus Christ. I believe that what I hand over and give into your hands is a sacrifice that can save others. We are ambassadors of Christ, but it needs to be done with sweet incense burnt along, uh, yeah, set on fire alongside the burnt offering. It can't smell like sacrifice. Sometimes we could give so much to God, and that's a good thing, but when people are around us, it's like, oh, do you want the Jesus that I'm serving? It's like, no. It smells burnt. It smells burnt out. It smells smoky. It smells like fire. There needs to be sweet incense going up. That's why the fruit of the Spirit is so important. Sacrifice, give, serve go grow sow. why it benefits us it benefits our household but it's also for others there's a light and life for us and there's no regret in my life for living for god and everything that i've poured his way and given his way i've learned that over the past two decades i don't regret a part of it it's been hard there's been hustle. It's been hard work but let the humble and the teachable embrace god's way in his truth Because it's sweet, sweet incense when embraced and trusted in. God invites us, his children, into his plan for salvation and reconciliation for the world. And that example of Job, our voluntary offering to him, we give all of ourselves, just as you guys have done this morning. And he sees every sacrifice and he accepts it. He accepts it and he uses it to reach and bless others. Look at this beautiful young couple here with their baby, sitting there with their baby. Did you have a rough night? Had a, no? Whenever I see, I've got three young ones myself, two, four, and six, and whenever I see the back row of babies sitting there in church, I'm like, that's a sacrifice for God. I know how some of you slept last night. You guys are just lucky. You guys are just blessed. Is this your first baby? Oh, Dory, It'll come. Everyone thinks the baby part is the hard part. No, wait for two and three, but I see I see all the tired eyes at church. I see the yawn of the guy on the, I see all that, I see everything, I see what everyone pours out, I see all the, you know, and when I look around my church and I see what everyone's doing and what everyone's bringing to, to, to bring this beautiful tapestry together, which is the church of Jesus Christ, I'm like, wow, that's the intercessory heart of God, alive within a community of Christians. That's what this is for. You know, whenever I hear some people say these words, you know, you don't need to go to church to be a Christian. It's like, what, you just worked that out? You just worked that one. That one's news to you. It's funny because they just work it out after everyone else worked it out. Then they start to teach everyone that. It's like you're not called to be a teacher. Everyone else knew this eons ago. They're here to serve God. They're here because, yeah, God is everywhere. Great. It's so great you just learnt that. What you didn't know, there were sermons on YouTube. Man, how did you just work that out? Are you new to technology? Yeah, we know yes i know the worship is pristine that's how sound recording works you're new to that you've what you've never been to a live performance and thought that sounds a lot different than the cd all these things people have to say about the church of jesus christ i find it a bit heartbreaking because what they've done what they've done is they've accepted the gift and they've lost sight of what worship is you know there was a son in the in the in the story of what i call the prodigal sons it's incorrectly named it's not the prodigal son it's the prodigal sons. There was one that walked away and came back even came back with ill intentions and hardly a heart of repentance but the father runs out to him and embraces him covers him but then back in the house when celebrating the fattened calf there's another prodigal son because the father has to leave the party again to chase down the heart of the one that said, how can we celebrate this guy coming in? Why is this worthy of celebration? What, he had lost sight of the mission of the house. He should have been there next to his father, who would have lived at a high place being wealthy. It's a hilly terrain, the Judean country, and the wealthy live at the top of the hill. So the father's out there looking out, waiting for even a speck of a shadow returning to the town. And that's why he runs out, beats anyone else in the village who would set out to turn him away, which was the custom as he's joined himself to foreigners. He beats them all and covers him. The son has no idea what's going on because he doesn't share the father's heart. He's away from the father. How do you know? Because he gives his own heart away. All these years I've been slaving for you. He had left the father's heart at the same time as the other prodigal son. He had left the house too. He was just too scared to leave. But he didn't share the father's heart. He didn't share the intercessory heart. You know I've been preaching when um, I lose my place on my tablet, my thumb moving of its own. You know when you have a fight going on? Who's ever seen a fight, like a real-life fight, and you see a fight going on? Come on, you've rushed over. Everyone joins a circle. You watch the fight. You can't help but gander at the fight. And then there's people that are even worse. They pull out their phones, and they record the fight. I've done it. I've done it. They watch the destruction. Or you see this argument going down, and it's kind of infuriating, just like, two bogans going at it and you're like oh, man this guy's been yelling at that or oh, now he's getting up he's getting up the other guy's getting up and you sort of everyone sort of gathers around to watch what's about to unfold phones come out everyone's waiting to watch the destruction and then people start you know especially if it's in school fight 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 see there's a part of us that wants to watch destruction right it's part of our nature but then you always get the one that runs in and everyone's like oh but they run in and they stand in between They say, hey, stop, no, what are you doing? You even get the one that runs in and there could be someone on the ground and they throw themselves on top of them. They take the posture of one who's willing to take the blows that should have been reaching them. I think that is just a great illustration of what God has called us to do for this world. Not to tape it, not to cheer on seeing brokenness and saying, you guys will see. You will see what brokenness brings. Just you wait. No, no, we're meant to get in the middle. We're meant to plead for the city. We're meant to plead for others. And if we're not showing the fruitless spirit, we're not acting in the intercessory manner because they can't see Christ, no matter what words we say. And see, carrying an intercessory heart is actually a life of sacrifice, it's a life of the best of ourselves given over to God. But it's good for the heart those that can walk in it walk with a sweet spirit they don't walk in discontentedness disgruntledness cynicism negativity always finding fault no they walk in a childlike wonder and awe and that's the spirit we've been called to walk in sometimes it takes work but we're always to return to wonder and awe this is what he meant when he said you you have to approach the kingdom of god like a child I get to be a part of this i'm inside i'm in the club you want me to join you want me to help the son of man did not come to condemn the world we always love to quote john 3 16 but we need to move on to verse 17 and 18. the son of man did not come to condemn the world but to save the world let me ask you this if jesus himself who was perfect did not come to condemn the world How can we as believers possibly view it as our mission to condemn the world when it wasn't his mission? And we have to be careful because this world does enough that if we're not careful, hate, bitterness, condemnation, discontentedness, disgruntledness, confusion, all of that which is the opposite of God's peace, which the Prince of Peace came to bring. Even indifference, can I tell you, indifference is actually the true opposite of love, not hate. Hate means you got engaged and got hurt. Indifference is the fruit of hatred, it's the end point where the heart just dies. When people are attacking each other, fighting each other, there's at least some life going on there. There's indifference to what is happening to this world is the true opposite of love. Indifference. I don't care. I don't care what happens to them. They've made their choice. They chose their path. They want to live against God, then this is what happens. God called us to be bothered in peace. I can't be bothered. Well, be bothered. Be bothered for God. Be bothered that there are people that need to reconcile with him. Be bothered that there are people who are hurting and in pain. And what happens is, you know know when we talk about the social media algorithm? It feeds you what you want. And our flesh longs for it. Ben Shapiro destroys dot, dot, dot. Watch Jordan Peterson destroy radical feminists. I don't know, whatever you hate, you, 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 know, you Google something which helps you see like someone destroy that person in an argument or, or someone being shut down, all this stuff. And we get fed by the algorithm. This world, long before social media came out, had an algorithm to turn people against people. You can't reach who you hate. You can't reach who you despise. You can't reach who hates you. We need to buck against the algorithm how the fruit of the spirit god's peace our lives given over you know i've been somewhat of a nerd all my life i acted like i thought it was a g but i'd like a time magazine subscription when i was 15. like that's how much you know i was in the debating club when i was in high school until i quickly got out of it because i realized you get no social credit for it you know that's it was a it was a pretty um rough high school at the time I was in the chess club when I was in primary school. I knew straight away in year eight, get out of the chess club. There's, there's no socially surviving that one. My point is, I, I used to read the newspaper every day as a teenager. Some of you were like, what's a newspaper? We used to get our news on paper. It was printed the day before. You were like 24 hours behind the news cycle, but it's, it's all we had. It's all we had back then. My point is this, I've been following politics and culture for a long, long time, and I think many of you agree with me. Like, in my short lifetime, we are more polarised and against each other than we ever have been. Before, you didn't even care who voted differently than you. Now it almost it almost selects your social circle. Where do you stand on this issue? Well, we'll go our separate ways. We are so polarised. We are so, so polarised polarized we are just dividing into factions can i tell you there's such an opportunity in this day and age that if we carry the spirit of christ which is a spirit of reconciliation the spirit of peace the word said blessed are the peacemakers not not peace enjoyers this comes back to the indifference part not the peaceable will i have peace because i just separated myself from anyone that disturbs my peace no no blessed are the peacemakers those that can wade in, those that can go into the world. This is actually the promise of Mark that is not well understood at the end of the gospel of Mark. You will handle serpents. You will drink poison and not be affected. That means the, toxic, the toxicity of this world, the poison of the world, the serpents of this world will not cause you to join in. We can be a Christian. We can be saved and redeemed, but we're acting just like the world because we're engaging in their hatred and indifference. This is an opportunity for the church of Jesus Christ to be above politics, to be above whatever the latest argument or viewpoint or position is. Because Christ who died on the cross is the highest truth that stands above all of that. What does he tell them? John John is big on this in all three of his letters and his gospel. Love one another so they will know you're my disciples. Man, if the love can't even exist... With ch- from church to church denom- denomination to denomination or even more so glaringly obvious within a church body if we can't love one another they won't see him love one another and they will know you're my disciples do we believe that there's an absolutely a place i just want to take an aside an asterisk because i know how people work there's absolutely a place for calling out that which is evil we don't throw our brains out when we read the gospel, when we step into truth. We're in a day and age where we use truth against each other to batter each other. But there is such thing as parallel truths and higher truths and, and subtru- there's all this complexity, okay? But if we're starting to fill up with discontentedness, bitterness, twistedness, condemnation towards people, indifference, hate, rage... If we're longing to see people's destruction even in a very subtle way we need to be on guard against this and perhaps if that stuff affects us we're not called to fight on christ's behalf any fight of morality because we're emotionally compromised and we need to leave those fights to those that can walk in peace and can do it while smelling sweet you know I love this old, old song. It's before my time, before I got saved, but I heard other people sing it. And tell me if you've heard it. Be careful, little children, what you see. Be careful, little children, what you hear. Has anyone heard that one? No. Well. I'm not going to sing it because clear the pews, but... It's a nursery, it's a a kid's church song. And it goes out to us now. Be careful what you hear. Careful what you see. Be careful what you consume. Be careful what is going in. Because it may not be God's spirit. No matter how morally righteous it may cause us to feel. Be careful what you're meditating on. Be careful what you're thinking about. We can be so zealous for our God just as Paul was when he killed other Christians, just as the Pharisees were when they couldn't see their Savior. We can be zealous for God and not carry his heart. Jesus' own disciples fell afoul of that. They risked that, (laughs) wanting to call fire down on a village. Hey, hey, you don't know what spirit that is. It's not my spirit. You're walking in the wrong spirit. Peter lashing out with the sword, cutting the ear off. I think it's very interesting that it's the ear cutting the ear off those that came to lay their hands and attack Jesus. He rebuked him and healed the man's ear. There are those that are struggling to come to Jesus because of what they've heard. And we can bring healing to their ear. In Genesis 4, if I could get the keys to come up. In the account of Cain and Abel says this, Cain kills Abel, And the Lord said, what have you done? Listen, your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. Cain attacks Abel and kills him, and Abel's blood cries out for vengeance, cries out for justice. In Hebrews 12, it says this in verse 24, you have come to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel was Abel's blood justified absolutely did it make sense of course he was attacked he was unfairly killed and his blood cried out for justice his blood cried out for god to take vengeance but jesus blood that was shed for us cries out a better word his blood cries out reconciliation his blood cries out peace his blood cries out forgiveness that is the new covenant and it speaks a better word it's a better word than simply being right simply being correct simply just knowing what others don't know Jesus himself said forgive them they don't know what they're doing Jonah should I not have mercy on the city these people don't know their left hand from their right For those of us that take communion we have that blood in us we've had a blood blood transfusion we've consumed Jesus blood so the blood that speaks out compassion and forgiveness reconciliation is within us we're marked with Christ's blood it speaks a better word mercy reconciliation It needs to be modeled in the church of Jesus Christ first. It needs to be modeled in the lives of disciples first. Like I said, I've never seen a world in my short time so polarized. And we need to monitor. We need to take a heart check. Am I carrying the heart of reconciliation? Am I being a mediator? Those who seek the peace, those who make peace, they shall be called the children of God. They're the ones people can look at and see, I see God now. I see God. In a church environment, when we love one another, and when we love our fellow believer in another denomination or church, no matter whether they believe in a pre-tribulation or post-tribulation rapture or whatever people decide is a reason to start discluding and attacking others over. When we love one another, they will know that we are His disciples. That's evangelism and outreach right there. If we do see sin or we see things that make us angry on behalf of God, then here is what we do about it. I don't want to just leave that. I'm going to give you something. Here's what you can do. If you see sin and it affronts you, if you see that which is against God, here's what you do. 1 Peter 4, verse 8. Above all. Everyone say above all. Love each other deeply because love covers a multitude of sins he then even offers some suggestions on how offer hospitality to one another without grumbling open your homes up have people over for meals have people over for dinner sacrifice of yourself you don't know, you've got a vacuum scrub all the day before but offer hospitality sacrifice You know, having people over sacrifice. Day cleaning before, day cleaning after. Three-day affair. But that's how the early church grew. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others. Well, here's what I've got. Here's what I can do. How can I use this to serve someone else? as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks, they should do so as one who speaks the very words of God. You know, if I'm God's representative, I better make sure that when I speak, it's the Holy Spirit speaking, that Christ is behind it. If anyone serves, they should do so with the strength God provides so that in all things God may be praised through Christ Jesus. This passage here, why don't you stand to your feet? This passage here, it's Job. It's Job giving of himself, giving over his voluntary burnt offerings. Did you know you don't have to? Yes, we know you don't have to. Yes, we know it's a gift. We know salvation's a gift. We know you don't have to. Yes, we know that the law is fulfilled. We know all these things. But man, if you can get a heart that says, I want to, God, here's the best of me. God, here's my offering. How can I contribute more? How can I give more? How can I open up more? How can I love more? Then people are reached, people are saved. It's the intercessory heart of God. Now, straight away, just because I remembered, I did good. I remembered. Before we just end, um, let's pray. Let's pray for this new building. Do you know when you get this building, your contribution, your financial contribution will have to go up. You'll have to serve harder. You'll have to give more of yourself. And that's hard. That's offering. And if you're not careful, if you don't carry the right heart, it can smell burnt. You can actually be burnt. You can walk around burnt. Any believer who's attempting to serve God has the ability to get burnt and to be burnt out. God, use me. And we end up in, I feel so used. They used me. I can't believe they used me. So what do we do? We just make sure we're carrying God's heart. And it's a good heart to carry. The heart of this world, it's horrible. I know, I've had it many a time. It's absolutely horrible it's not peace and sometimes as believers we settle for a lack of peace in our lives we settle for it God wants to bring his peace God wants to give you peace his shalom he sent his disciples out he said if they receive you leave your greeting leave your shalom on that household if we were them if we were those disciples and we're following that same instruction let me let me challenge you with this if we don't have a large enough level of god's peace in our life would we really leave a deposit of peace if they accepted us in if we don't have his peace if we don't have his fruit on our lives we can't take it with us we can't give it to other people so let's pray first for this building let's believe father I thank you for Lift Church. I thank you for every member, those that aren't here and those that are here. And Father, we pray for every future member that's going to know you, that's going to receive wholeness and healing, that's going to learn who their father is, that's going to learn about the cross, that's going to find Christian community, that's going to be offered hospitality, that's going to be invited into homes and connect groups, Bible studies, that's gonna give their own offering to you and give of their own life to you, the fullness of themselves, because of the sacrifice of those who are here now and in this church now. We commit ourselves, Father, to giving you our best, our hearts and all that flows on from there. You are worthy, you are worth it all. You are worth our worship. You are worthy of our worship. And Father, we can only do that in light of the cross, in view of your mercy. I thank you, Father, for the future of Lift Church, for all you are going to do. Father, for the strength to strength, the season to season of where you're going to take them, of who you're going to add to this family. Father, we thank you that big families are fun. Christmas dinners with lots of people are fun of all the kids running around, things broken. And so I thank you, Father, that you're going to add to this family. And Father, we, we lift up this building project, this building plan. We lift it up to you and we ask you for it. We ask you for it. And Father, as we ask you for it, we make a commitment within our own hearts. We will give over the best of ourselves to see your kingdom come in this patch of the kingdom, in this local church. Father, that its best days are ahead of it. Father, that amazing things are going to come, awesome things are going to come as people give over of themselves. Father, let this church be marked by your peace because its people make a choice to walk in peace. Father, I pray for the burnt offerings that will flow out from every individual. That which will be given over into your hands as an intercessory, an intercessory gift for others we plead for the city, we seek for the peace and the prosperity of the city, and we do that by giving over of ourselves. We carry the intercessory heart. We don't condemn this world. We don't judge this world. That's your business, Father. You've called us to save this world, to reach this world with your good news. We thank you that you have chosen us to be ambassadors of reconciliation. Father, even in that, I pray for every person that needs to make Steps of reconciliation within families towards other people that, Father, as much as depends on us, as much as we are whole enough to actually do and accomplish through your strength, through your prompting, I pray for restoration of rest- relationships. I pray for forgiveness to fall on people right now towards others. Forgiveness, Father, that, that may not be deserved, but Father, the blood that's in us speaks a better word. It speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. It's the blood of Christ. Father, that people would be able to reconcile with loved ones, family members. Father, that there would not be any gripes or or, or hates or beefs or quarrels in this church. Father, that there would be peace. There would be reconciliation. That in light of what you have done for us, everything could drop to the floor. And as we do that, as we grow in that, it's hard. It takes time. It's a journey. It's... It's a week-by-week, revelation-by-revelation progress. I just thank you, Father. People will see you. People will smell the sweet incense. Father, I don't pray this because I'm saying this church is lacking that, but, Father, I pray this because we want to strengthen, want to strengthen that which smells sweet. We want awareness of what may already be happening naturally. We want to give a name to it, an affirmation to it, a yes and an amen that that perhaps when we see others who are making a different stand for Christ, we understand that we are called to carry that same heart that Abraham carried. We plead for those that don't know you. We plead for those that are living contrary to you. Father, accept what we have, the best of what we have, take it and accept it as a voluntary free will sweet smelling offering to see others come to you others come to salvation and i thank you that, as every person does that there's just blessing that flows into their households not as some kind of reward in the in the sense of none no, of it because it's just the nat- it's the best state It's how you designed us to be. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father, for such a worshipful church. In Jesus' name, amen. We hope you've enjoyed this week's message. Follow us on Instagram at The Lift Church or on Facebook at Lift Church Perth. That will give you all the up-to-date information about what's happening in the life of our church. Thanks again for listening. God bless.